Hey everyone, Pratiti Pathak here. Welcome to Unpacking Brain Drama, where we talk about real life experiences, the challenges and the obstacles. Sometimes we use them to block ourselves. Sometimes we use them to grow and evolve. Here's what I wanna say. Obstacles are not the things blocking our path. Obstacles are the path. So in other words, we have to grow through what we go through. So join me as we have some amazing conversations with some amazing guests. Today, I'd like to introduce a good friend of mine, Larry Roberts, full of high energy. He's going to share some super vulnerable moments that he's gone through in his life to being resilient and resourceful. Larry has gone from corporate America to full-time podcasting. He is a podcaster, speaker, and Amazon number one best-selling author and top-rated Udemy course creator. He has been coaching and facilitator roles for more than 25 years. Larry thrives on sharing his knowledge and insights in ways that will grab your attention, put you at ease, and reassure you all at the same time. He's fallen in love with podcasting several years ago and has had two shows of his own, including including his readily random podcast. Welcome, friend and fellow podcaster, Larry. Oh, what is going on? I almost cut you off. Didn't mean to do that. So, man, it's just, it's awesome to be here. We've been planning this for a while, and I'm happy that it's finally here. So, this is cool. Awesome. Well, you know, you and I talk a lot, so, and it's hard not to cut each other off because we have that kind of blah, 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 blah going on. So, <laughs> it's it's okay. That's 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 allowed during our conversations, I think. So tell me, what has been going on for you? You are uh, blowing up out there and you just recently quit your job Yeah. and did podcasting full time. So um, I love to share with my listeners what you're doing today and how you got there. Well, today I went to the uh, Paradonist. I'm getting a new grill, so I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> but no, I, I am. I'm, I'm going to be getting all new teeth. This is exciting. I'm excited about it. I'm 48. I need some teeth, so uh, we're, we're going to get it done. That, that's what's happening today exactly right here, right now, right before this podcast. But what's going on is actually January 4th was my last day uh, in corporate America. I had been with the same company in various roles for 21 years. And I walked away from that to do podcasting, content creation, and coaching full-time. And that's what we're doing. So it's it's pretty exciting. So far, it has been an amazing ride, uh, and we're only a few months in. So I have no idea what the rest of the year is going to bring. You know, things are constantly evolving because we're, we're kind of still in that trend. Well, not kind of. We're definitely still in that transition phase where things are starting to open back up, and we're starting to see live events take place and people are starting to gather in groups again in certain parts of the country. So that's going to kind of change the way we do things a little bit again. But at the same time, you know, I, I don't know that the virtual aspect of things is going to go away. I, I think we found a new way to do business and a new way to interact and a new way to connect. And I think people are adapting to literally making emotional connections, even in a virtual space. So anyways, it's been an interesting ride. That's what I'm doing. And it, like I say, it's exciting. I'm, and I'm happy to be doing it right now. Yeah, I think that's really great. And you're right. I just was at a, a virtual event yesterday. So it was really, really a fun time. Um, and, you know, we're also wearing our masks, but we're keeping our distance. So you were saying that you left a company that you were with for 25 years? 21. 21 years. Yeah. And what kind of company was that? They were an aftermarket automotive company. 
Uh, they've been in business since the early 1900s. I think it was 1915, I believe, is when they were were actually founded. Uh, the parent company is out of in uh, Long Island City in, in New York there. And they have a facility here in Dallas where they make aftermarket air conditioning components, where they manufacture and distribute like compressors and condensers. And if you go to AutoZone or O'Reilly's or Pep Boys or any of those that, that sell aftermarket parts, you're probably going to buy something that Standard Motor Products manufactures and distributes. What was the reason that you ended up, like, how did you get to the podcast to begin with? And I think this is your second podcast, isn't it? Yeah, Readily Random is my current podcast, and I'm actually about to launch a new one. I don't know if I want to drop that little nugget just yet, but uh, uh, yeah, we're getting ready to rebrand once again. Now, the company's going to stay Readily Random Media, but the podcast is going to get a little bit of a facelift. So, But no, the first podcast I started was, interestingly enough, it was just a hobby podcast. It was just for fun, and it was an opportunity. I, I, truth be told, I hated the concept of podcasts when I first found out about them. I thought, that's so stupid. It's like NPR and nobody wants to listen to that garbage. This is nonsense. But being a huge fight fan, I have a martial arts background, been around since the early days of UFC. It started in 1993, and I still remember the, the, the promotional posters in our karate school where you could actually sign up if you wanted to fight at the Ultimate Fighting Championship when they were putting it together. $50,000 first prize. And I thought, man, I, you know, I think I can scrap, but I just don't have the guts for that things evolve. But anyway, my whole point there is, is that uh, always been a fight fan. Joe Rogan calls the fights. Joe Rogan happens to have, I don't know, one of the largest podcasts. You've probably heard of it, the Joe Rogan experience. And yes. a buddy of mine was like, dude, if you know who Joe Rogan is, you've got to listen to his show. And I'm like, I'm not listening to his show. But anyways, bottom line, I finally listened to his show just to shut this guy up. And I heard the conversation and it blew me away. Because there were, I think the episode I listened to had some comedians on there, some some fairly popular modern day comedians. And the exchanges that were going down reminded me of the early days of my exposure to comedy, which was back in the 80s. So it reminded me of some of the classics that come from that era. And I was like, this is an outlet that I need. I need this outlet. And uh, so... I fired up a podcast. It was a comedy podcast, and it did really well. I mean, it ended up uh, the download numbers were solid. Uh, we took it live. We took it on stage. Uh, we took it to a club here in North Dallas, and to this day, it continues to be one of the number one open mics in all of Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Uh, it's one of the largest mics that stand-up comics go to, and it all started with that show. So I'm pretty proud about that because we kind of made an impact. And I'm going to go ahead and give Jamie Gravy a little props. He was my co-host. He just signed his first, what do you call it, a residency in Las Vegas. So he is now a full-time employed, paid comedian, opening up for Eddie Griffin for, I, I don't know, in the next couple, three years. So uh, mad props to him for doing that. He literally just signed, I think it was last week or week before last. So he went from a little podcast to the big time, and he's he's crushing it. So mad props to Jamie Gravy. Check him out if you get a chance. That's really awesome, and that's something you and I have in common. I'm, so, I'm sorry I didn't get to listen to that podcast. It's not going anymore, though, right? No, no, no. no. Uh, you know, I was still in corporate America, yeah. and some of the language might have been a little offensive. I, and, I can't believe uh, that. Really? Nah, Are you there sure? might have been some, might have been a little blue, might have been a little blue. <laughs> and so it was interesting. And this is kind of what really did me in with corporate America was that we had acquired another company and a new manager came in from that company and was put in a position directly over me. 
and uh, he's a little more straight arrow than O'Leary tends to be from time to time. And he brought me in his office and sat me down and said he didn't appreciate the content, didn't appreciate my representation of the company based on my content, yada, yada, yada. Now, he didn't tell me to stop the podcast, but I felt for my own professional, you know, uh, career it would do me good to go ahead and let's just try to mend fences a little bit let's kill that show he'll appreciate that and i'll start a new show and that's how readily random actually ended up coming about it did not help our relationship at all (laughs) but hey but hey i tried and that you know that's all i could say to that so but you know also i'm super stoked that it happened because i wouldn't be here honestly i know i wouldn't be here talking to you right now if that transaction, that verbal transaction had not occurred and had those changes not been put in place, I wouldn't be doing anything close to what I'm doing right now. Uh, and so it, for, for that, I'm extremely grateful. Yeah, I think everything happens exactly the way it's supposed to. But, you know, that's pretty it's, it's really telling about who you are and your work ethic, too, because you were doing this podcast. First of all, you didn't even care about podcasts and you weren't even excited about podcasts. You decided to listen to a podcast, got excited about it, went to go do something you were actually passionate about, loved, and thought there's a, you know, there's something to be uh, really amazing about doing comedy, which I love. I, it's on my bucket list to do an open mic night because everybody's told me I should do that. Um, And you decided to make sure that you kept your employment intact and shut down something that you were really having a good time doing. So that says a lot about you. Yeah, it stung a bit, but it was, you know, I felt it was the right thing to do at the time. And, and, and again, t- today, I still think it ended up being the right thing to do. I still look back on that first podcast and I look at some of the numbers that it generated. And I look at some of the episodes that we had, I go, man, that was so much fun. And those numbers were so <laughs> unbelievable. But at the same time, I mean, what, what did it translate to? It didn't really translate to anything. So there, there's a lot well, of, lot to reminisce tra- on. Translated to here, you know, it translated yeah. to now. So that's a, that's a good thing. So yeah, yeah. You, you started readily random, but let's just go back a little bit in time here. I know that you have um, gone through quite some things uh, growing up. And yeah. I would love for you to share some of these, uh, like their major obstacles that you've overcome in your life from health issues to, and you also mentioned you have the, the fighting, the UFC. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I would love to have you share some of the struggles that you've gone through in your life. Anything major that sticks out right away? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I say. This can't be one podcast. This needs to be a, series, be a series, bro. If we're we're going to break it down. Um, I mean, it really, it starts off early. Um, <laughs> I don't know how far we want to go with this, to be honest with you. But my mom and my real father, they, my, my, my biological father separated in a year and a half. Um and you have to keep in mind, this was like 1974, maybe 73. And well, I was born in 72, so it had to be 74. Um, and she found my bio dad in bed with her stepdad. Hmm. Unpack that brain drama. Wow. And so, so things got started early in the drama department. Uh, she remarried almost immediately to my stepfather. Uh, he was around and they were married till he passed away recently. I say recently, it's been a few years now. Um, he was less than a pleasant kind of guy. And uh, top it all off, I was born with a birth defect. I had an inverted an inverted sternum. So instead of my sternum being convex and growing outward, allowing everything to expand as I grew, 
the sternum was actually growing inward and was crushing lungs, heart, all the good stuff. So uh, I would not have made it to five years old. I would have made it beyond five had I not had the surgery. So at four years old, I had major reconstructive surgery on my chest called sternum excavatum, where they go in and they break the sternum in multiple places and they remove some ribs and then reattach things. And anyways, bottom line, uh, you know, I survived. And here I am today for that. So had that to overcome as well, even as a pup. And that always kept me sheltered growing up. Um, so I ended up going to private school right out of the gate. Uh, my parents sent me to private school. My grandmother actually paid for it because they wanted to protect me. They didn't want me in a public school environment. They didn't want me getting roughhoused around because any damage could cause to, inst you know, could lead to instant death until everything was healed up. And even then we weren't sure what sort of impact I could take and not have devastating results due to it. So, uh, like I say, sheltered my whole life growing up, except for my stepdad. He was always extremely violent. Would beat mom left and right, especially on Sundays because we lived near a church and we went to mom went to church on the reg. So every Sunday was guaranteed drama. Um, yeah, I mean, just fun stuff. Uh <laughs> well, uh, you know, I like that is a lot. And, and, that and is that's a lot. that's that's before 10. You know what I mean? That's that's, that's by now, 10 years your, old. Was your biological father still in the picture or No, he was removed from the picture significantly. Um and uh, for good reason. Uh, I mean, we'll just keep on keeping on here. This is such yeah. a pleasant topic that uh, everybody's going to love it. Um I, I was in my early teens, 13, 14 years old. And I went to grandma's house quite a bit. Grandma did a lot for me. Grandma clothed me. Grandma did everything. Although I lived with my mom and stepfather, quote unquote, parents, mm -hmm. uh, they were always financially challenged and um, were really unable to, to keep me uh, in a position to keep attending private schools. The, the schools I went to back in my single digit years required uniforms and all that kind of stuff. And grandma always paid for that. So grandma did everything for me until she passed away. And um, so I would stay with her generally on the weekends and anytime I could get away from Richard, that was my stepdad. And so um, we had set up a deal. Grandma always wanted me to be closer to my, my real dad. And uh, cause she didn't kind of real, I mean, uh, maybe she ignored what he was, you know, cause he's just a freak. But uh, anyway, not I'm, I'm getting off topic here, but we set up a situation where I was going to spend the night at grandma's but what I ended up doing was going and spending the night with, I used to call him my daddy, daddy and his uh, fourth wife. And so we set it up. I go off with them and he's got a case of, of Lone Star beer in the car. So we go driving and drinking and here I am 13, 14 years old. Uh, I get liquored up, get sauced up. We get back to their little crappy apartment and um, yeah, they started, you know, doing adult things. And uh, then they went to the bedroom, left the door open, was doing adult things, and then called me in there. And I was like, no, I'm cool. I'm on the couch. I remember watching wrestling. And he's like, no, you don't, boy. Come on. And so anyways, things went down. And uh, then about a year after that, maybe a year and a half after that or so, I thought I had AIDS because this was the 80s, right? And really all I had was I had a, 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 a virus on my mouth. It's called trench mouth. It was from drinking from the same water fountain or water bucket uh, with other, I, I played soccer at the time. So uh, it was just a, something boys get from drinking after too many people, right? Not a big deal, but I didn't know what it was. And I specifically remember being in the hospital one night. I'm throwing a fix. I have no idea. I'm scared to death. I don't know what this is. And 
I was also, although still young, I was already sexually active with my girlfriend. So I'm thinking I got AIDS. I've probably given her AIDS. I'm sitting here in the hospital bawling because I knew what had happened a year and a half ago. Mom's embarrassed because I'm embarrassing her. She doesn't know what's gone down. And anyways, uh, we get home. She tells Richard so that Richard will beat my ass on like he does on the reg. Sorry about the A word. Sorry about that. So that he would uh, do his thing. And um, I go, you want to know why I'm panicked? Here's why I'm panicked. For some reason, I still had the underwear from the night and they were torn. I had hidden them under my dresser. So I got those, threw them at her, and it all hit the fan. Um, bottom line, my dad got seven years probation. So he got seven years probation. Wow. That's all he got was probation on the deal. Do you think it was um, because of the time that took the time lapse or what was the reason? I don't really know uh, exactly how it all played out. Grandma pretended and he lived with my grandma by now uh, and he lived with her until until he died. He died before my grandma did. Um, so this was your grandmother on your dad's side. Yeah. Yeah. And she always pretended it didn't really happen. It never really was. It was never broached with grandma. We never had mm. the discussion, never really went anywhere with it. But um, I don't really know. I know I testified in, in a close setting in front of, I don't know, 10, 12 people. Uh, and I remember there was some, some talk about at the time it's not, I mean, and it's still hard these days for a male to cry rape because certain functions have to come into play for certain things to happen. And, um, they, I remember that being a big topic of debate. Uh, but I only, I only testified that one time and that was it. So, and then it, it played itself out. And I remember he got a minor fine and seven, seven, uh, seven years probation and his wife got, I think four years. Um, so four years of probation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, probation so I, well. was, I was just going to ask you that is, did his wife, you know, she was involved. That was, yeah, she got four years probation and he got seven. So that's crazy. Yeah. It's nuts, but you know, eventually, <laughs> I mean, it, that, that is just, you know, I mean, you hear about it, you 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 don't really think that you know it's easy to not think about it when you when it's not you you know and ha like I, I have to think that this had some serious um uh, uh what, what do i say like um how did it affect you in school with your grades with your peers with everybody with yourself you know, uh, with my with myself hell i still fight with it today i mean i still have tremendous confidence issues even at 48 i mean i'm i'm, I'm a middle-aged man and i i should not have self-doubt and and i shouldn't question my ability to do this or that but even today i still if i fall short of something it's because i didn't get that affirmation that i was looking for and i call it quits before i fail and i think that was instilled at a very very early age i'd rather quit than fail and I, I fought it for years and years and years. But, you know, I, I think the biggest time that this really came out was you mentioned the UFC. I, mean, I was a huge fan. Uh, I've got multiple black belts. I trained all my life. Um, that that's was just a, that's amazing, given the and, fact that you were so. The, exactly. Yes. Tell exactly. Us about that. Well, I always felt way protected, way fragile. And I got made fun of a lot in school. I was super skinny. We used to get uh, CPS called on us quite often because I was so skinny. Neighbors would be concerned that I wasn't being fed, but I was just skinny. Now, we didn't eat like kings. And at one time, I mean, we, we lived in the back of a trailer park in the maintenance shed. We called it the Cracker Box. Uh, I was there in my, 
I don't know, probably seven, eight years old is where we lived then. And they would call CPS. <laughs> it happened more than once. But I was just a super skinny kid and super, super fragile. And, you know, and then seeing my dad beat my mom on the reg and he seemed to enjoy smacking me around too for just whatever reason, anything he could think of. I wanted to be a tough guy. I wanted to show that I wasn't fragile, that I wasn't weak. And so I was always attracted to fighting and martial arts. I didn't get in fights. I didn't do a whole lot of street fighting or anything like that in the early years. <laughs> in my teens, I got a little more aggressive, but I just loved the art of fighting. I loved the art of being the one that comes out on top. And I just knew that martial arts was the way to do it. And plus, it's, it, in the early 80s, ninjas were all the rage, right? So who, who'd want to be a ninja, right? So I wanted to be a ninja, but I knew I wasn't going to be a ninja. But I, I could be a karate guy at least. And uh, so I started training, started training, started training. Um, 93 rolls around, UFC comes out, and I start seeing real fighting. And I'm going, wow, this karate stuff that I know this doesn't really solve the problem of getting in a scrap and not like I always thought it did. Everything changed, everything changed. And so my training changed and uh, I eventually fought in some, some amateur uh, mixed martial arts and then some low level pro regional stuff. Um, yeah. Cause martial arts is more about like, I, I took Taekwondo when I was younger and that was more about like passing the test with your forms. More, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You do a you little know? spar, a little, little yeah. back fist here and there, but you're, you're not really scrapping. I mean, it's not, it's not a fight. And, well, unless you're at a tournament, you know, unless yeah, you do the tournaments yeah. all the time. Sure. And, and so I, I started to just go, wow, all the stuff that I've been training in is kind of a, it's kind of a lie. Um, and I started kickboxing and then I started fighting MMA and uh I, I think this goes back to where i'd rather quit than fail i had reached a level in fighting mma that uh one of my friends and teammates pete spratt he made it to the ufc back at ufc 37.5 he fought up to, to ufc 40 he fought three times back in the day and that was the hardcore days i mean really i mean not that it's not hardcore now but we all say you know, the yesteryear is always tougher, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he made it to the big show and I was training with him and was making some good strides. And I remember I had an opportunity to fight at in a different state at a pro level. And I went down to Houston to train with one of the top trainers in the world. He's still one of the top trainers in the world today. Trains UFC world champions. He was Tito Ortiz's trainer. If you know anything about UFC, you've heard of Tito Ortiz. He was the man back in the day. Mm -hmm. This was his coach. And uh, I was down there rolling, which is basically wrestling with a UFC fighter, Eve Edwards. And the coach walks by and he goes, uh, hey, man, your uh, your cardio looks a little suspect. To you? And I, yeah, to me, because I was tired because Eve was whooping my ass. I mean, he's already a pro fighter in the UFC and he's, you know, right. he's, he's, he's tooling me, but I'm fighting the next night. And uh, he goes, hey, bro, you're, 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 the coach's name is Saul Solis. And uh, he looks down and goes, hey, bro, your, your cardio is a little suspect. Mm. And that little seed of doubt entered into my brain. And my cardio suspect, because of my birth defect, I only have about 60% lung capacity. I literally just last week went to the ER because I had a CAT scan run, a CT on my chest, and they thought I had a collapsed lung. So my doctor called me and said, you got a collapsed lung? Get to the ER right now. This was last week. So I've always had deformities in my lungs because they weren't allowed to, to grow properly. So again, my cardio was never able to get to the level that it needed to be to compete at the highest levels, just impossible. But Saul Solis, God trainer that I worshiped, right? <laughs> he says yes. this to me. 
and I just, I, I just collapsed mentally. Instant, I just instantly collapsed mentally. I kept training that day. Then we went to the venue, and I remember uh, my opponent came out. They lined us all up, and top things off, he's wearing the Scream mask. You know, the mask from Scream. He comes out, and he's wearing that. I'm like, oh, come on, man. I'm already oh doubting myself. Now yeah, I got the right. Scream murder. <laughs> and he, we're standing there in the cage all lined up across from each other, and all I've got in my mind is doubt, 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 doubt. And I can't make it stop. I can't make it stop. And this wasn't my first fight. I'd fought many times before. Now, this was a step up in competition level. It was a step up in, in, in opponents and, and a step up on a much larger scale. And I panicked. And I got sick. I got quote unquote sick. I didn't get sick. But I got sick and I pulled out of the fight. Because I always wanted to either quit or win. Or win. I, I would wow. rather quit than lose. And this was, this was 25 years ago. But it still resonates with me today as one of my, I mean, I have a ton of massive regrets. But that's one of my biggest. And that's one of the biggest learning moments in my life looking back on it now. People, if you had, they just asked me the other day, I was in a room on Clubhouse and the question was, if you had a time machine, what would you do? And I mean, I said, I would go back and I would fight that fight. Win, lose, or draw, it doesn't matter. I would have fought the fight. But again, all that self-doubt, all that drama, right, that I was still packaged, that was still packaged up and I was still carrying around, that mentality was how I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be seen as a winner. I didn't want to be seen as that frail kid. I didn't want to be seen as that victim. I didn't want to be seen as that punching bag stepchild. Uh, I, I didn't want to be seen as that, that soft kid that goes to the private school. He's too soft to go to the public school. I, I didn't want to be seen that way. I want to be a winner. And it took that realization to start making those changes. But really, I mean, that realization sent me down another horrific path. You know, since I, when I walked away from that fight, I didn't have anything in my life at the time. I mean, I had a relationship, but it was garbage. Uh, I was recently divorced. And I say recently, just a few years divorced. And I think I was in the process of breaking up with my first serious relationship after the divorce. So really kind of lost. So I turned to partying. And I used to live at this place called Fox and the Hound. It was a little restaurant slash bar place close to the office. I'd go there every night, spend thousands and thousands. I remember we got bonuses for a project going in. Got a $2,000 bonus. I dropped it in like a week at Fox and the Hound, just partying. And it got worse and worse and worse. And I partied and partied and partied for years and years and years. All the while still functioning and all the while still having a career. But at the same time inside and physically i'm just falling apart and i finally became a full-fledged drunk i mean non-functioning drunk this was in 2013 when the realization was i'm sitting on the couch after about two and a half weeks of missing work i'd already been in the hospital once that year due to alcohol poisoning for three days played that off as some kind of something something who knows i was just sick we all knew what it was. And uh, as I sat on the couch, the very couch that's still in my living room today, 
covered in who knows what, right? Because probably hadn't had a shower in days and days and days. My wife, she's still going to work and she's trying to put up with me, right? So you got married. So you- oh yeah, well let's back that up a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got married twenty years ago, so uh, in the early stages of that partying and at Fox and the Hound, um, I, I actually met my wife at work. She was I saw her at the office, made a little connection at the office, and then one night at Fox and the Hound, she told me she was married, but she was actually separated. But she was technically married, but she was separated. Right? Didn't realize the separation part. I think she left that out on purpose because she wanted me to leave her alone. But (laughs) then we're at Fox and the Hound hanging out and one of my best good pals comes walking around the corner with her. So I looked at my other friend, I go, what is going on right here? I thought she was married. He's like, I don't know. I said, I don't know either, but I'm about to figure it out. And I set the pool cue down, walked right up to her. I said, what the hell? And uh, we went out about two days later and uh, we hadn't been separated since. So yeah, uh, we we, uh, actually started dating on Valentine's Day was our first date. Got married August of that same year, and August twentieth of this year is actually twenty years. So, wow, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's it, it's uh, it, it's it's been an interesting journey. She's been a champion of mine for a long, long time, and without her, I, I wouldn't be talking to you today either. So, it sounds um, like she went through all of that whole process with you. She went through a whole lot. Yeah, she went through. I mean, she wasn't there for the for leaving the fight. Uh, but she got the residuals of it. You know, she was introduced to, uh, cause I actually had a couple of, I've tried to make comebacks and tried to train for fights, but I mean, I wasn't training full time and I couldn't get it. I couldn't stay focused. All I wanted to do was drink and party. I didn't have time to put the, put the cold beer down and, and actually dedicate myself to the gym again and try to, you know, it, it just didn't pan out. And, uh, um, I stayed attached to the fight game by cornering people. Uh, I still had some of my teammates that fought and I would go work their corners when they fought and I'd be there to support them. But as far as participating and training, it just wasn't went in the cards anymore. My heart wasn't there because I knew, I knew I made a huge mistake and I knew I betrayed everything that it was all about. And I couldn't go back and try to pretend now. And it just kind of ruined it all. And that was the struggle that really led me to the drinking was I, I've, I dedicated my life to doing this. And now I just, literally just just let it all go just gave it all away just gave it all away so how did you recover from the drinking because did you go back to the you went back to um fighting at some point didn't you because you have a i think you have a chuck norris story in there somewhere uh well i was on walker texas ranger and i almost fought for a chuck norris promotion which was the world combat was it world combat championships it was a short-lived organization that uh, i came close to fighting for but it didn't pan out so but i was on walker texas ranger uh back one of, the one of, of my show, son's so. favorite shows one <laughs> so of my was, son's favorite shows so. <laughs> it was the sons of thunder episode i think it was i think there was a back-to-back episode for sons son of thunder or sons of thunder and i'm in episode one there for just like that fast but you you can see me so <laughs> so did you have an encounter with chuck no, 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 no. I didn't have an encounter with Chuck. I, I, I talking about like a confrontation or no, 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 no. I mean, didn't you have like a sparring thing where you got one in real good on them or something? Not on Chuck Norris. No. Oh, <laughs> no, no, I, I no. I thought you were able to do a famous roundhouse or something. No, 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 no. I, I, <laughs> I auditioned for a part for a bigger part oh. in Walker, Texas Ranger where I, I guess they didn't like my round. Maybe it wasn't pretty enough because you had to throw a, a, a spinning roundhouse 
uh, in the audition because that was the move that was being thrown on the screen in the confrontation with the son of thunder guy. And uh, so I tried out for that position, for that part, for that role. But again, like I said, I don't think they like my, my turn kick very well or something because my buddy got it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I have never had an encounter like that with, with, with Mr. Norris at all. No, Mr. Norris. Yeah. And he's 80 now. He just turned 80. So that's, that's freaking crazy. Yeah. He's amazing. But no, I never went back to fighting, but I was stranded there on the couch uh, back in 2013. It was November 14th of 2013. And Something hit me, man. I'd been there for days and days and days, and all I'd really taken in was gin. I didn't even drink beer anymore. I mean, it was just gin, and I'd already gone through all the the nonsense of of making excuses to drink before work, uh, wake up at night around 2 a.m., do two or three shots to go back to sleep, uh, wait for the wife to try on the hairdryer in the morning before we go to work, because she also, we worked at the same place at the time, and uh, so I'd wait for the hairdryer to come on so she couldn't hear me get in the freezer, because I, you know, I like to keep my a gin cold and uh, I'd slip a couple shots in while she's getting ready and couldn't hear it. Then I'd go to work and I'd find some reason to go home at lunch. Uh, we never went home for lunch, but I'd find some reason. Oh, I don't feel good. Or, Oh, this or that. And I'd go home, do two or three shots. And then uh, of course, when we got home, uh, it was drinking time till I passed out. So we'd already gone through all that phase and uh, it caught up. And again, I, I wasn't even going to work anymore. I'd been out of work for a couple, three weeks. And I just sat there that day and i knew something like i had it was like an epiphany because i wasn't sober i hadn't had any food all i had was alcohol but something came to me right there in that moment and said larry tomorrow's not going to come unless you get help today you're done it's over and i got up and i called my best good pal ironically enough the best good pal that walked into fox and the hound with my wife that night <laughs> my future wife not even knowing I said, Kenny, bro, I'm, I'm about to check out. I need help. And, uh, and then the wheels just started turning and everybody, everybody came to the rescue and, uh, Kenny and my wife, they ended up making it over to the house and they eventually swooped me up and off. I went to rehab, did seven weeks in rehab, got clean and I've haven't had a drop of alcohol since. So, um, yeah, it's been, been quite the journey. <laughs> you know, that, I thank you so much for sharing all of that because that is um, not easy stuff to talk about. You know, there's a, there's a lot of um, feelings that come up around a lot of emotion that comes up around sharing that vulnerability with people and like in-depth stuff about yourself. But uh, you have come so far. And I, I think it's amazing that you went to rehab for seven weeks and you've never touched alcohol since because there are people that have gone to rehab over and over and over. And I always wonder about that. But so after you got out of rehab, what did you, what did your life look like coming home? It was really kind of lost because I'd spent so many years drinking and partying and then really just drinking. There wasn't any partying, partying the last five or six years. It was just drinking and uh, drinking every night till you pass out. Yeah, so I didn't really come, come home and reacquaint yourself with yourself. Yeah. And that was very, man, that was probably the most difficult aspect of the whole thing. Cause I was only scheduled to be in rehab for six weeks and the six weeks came, you know, it, it, it went by, came and went. And I didn't feel ready to go. I didn't feel ready to re-enter 
just life. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to adapt. Uh, it's, it's a real being sober after being drunk or intoxicated or high or whatever it may be for so long. Sobriety is a scary concept. Um, interacting with people is a scary concept. Doing day-to-day activities is a scary concept because you, you hid from all that. You know, you, you didn't have to face this and that. I'd go to work, but I knew, you know, as soon as I get home and we get drunk, it's going to be just fine. You know, is it five o'clock soon we get to the house? And it had gotten to the point, too, where I knew as soon as I got home, that first shot was going to come back up, meaning I was going to throw the first shot back up because I had entered into deets, detox already. I was already having the deets and the shakes. By the time I got home, I would stand over the sink and do that first shot and knowing it's going to come right back up. But then that second shot, it's probably going to stay down. And then that third shot, oh, I can breathe. Oh, it's cool. Everything's good. And then I'd go for, you know, till 9, 10 o'clock until I passed out and then wake up somewhere in the house and then do some more shots. So, yeah, how do you transition from that? It's, it's a gradual process. And I still went to outpatient even after rehab. And I was on a ton of medication to help me kind of cope and, and deal with getting back into life. But I kind of found out too, and I mean, I appreciate everything that happened at rehab and everything that took place because I mean, it got me where I am right now. It got me sober, but at the same time, they transitioned me somewhat from alcohol to this pill dependency. And I was on all these, I'm talking just tons of medication and I'm not on any of it now because I finally said, you know what? I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. This is ridiculous. So, and, and paying tons of cash, you know, you know, for these medications, cause most yeah. of them aren't covered. So there's, there's, I can't even imagine the numbers behind it, but I even said, look, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. And I stopped. So I don't do the drugs, although they were all prescription. I, I don't do the, 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 the post-care drugs. I, I don't drink. I don't do anything like that. But again, you, you're asking the question of how do you transition? I don't know. It was just day by day. Uh, we got a dog, you know, I mean, got, 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 got a puppy. Uh, cause you know, one of the things that happened that while I was in rehab is we lost one of our dogs and, um, a wife was left here to take care of that situation all by herself, which, uh, it was interesting to see my wife make the transition to being so independent while I was there because, um, we have a very mutual relationship. I'm not going to use the word codependent, but because I mean, we enjoy being in each other's company and we thrive being on each other in each, each other's company, but, and we had never been apart. So, you know, it, all these, this, this tragedy of me being away for starters, me being in rehab it, to capitalize on it. Uh, one of our dogs dying while I was in there, me not being there to handle it. I mean, she took it out on me because I wasn't there to handle it. So she didn't even come see me in rehab for Christmas because she was so pissed off because the dog died and I wasn't there to take care of business because I was too irresponsible and drinking had become my life instead of her being my life and our dogs being our life and me taking care of business. So there was, there was, there was some, some growth there that had to take place as well, you know, uh, but getting the new pup, that was cool. And uh, that helped me cope some, but really it was just gradual. I didn't go back to work for, I don't want to put a time on it because I don't really know, but it was still several weeks before I went back to work. And even when I went back to work, it was on a, a limited basis and before I actually reemerged into the office place uh, at the same, you know, at, at a full, uh, full-time schedule. 
Uh, and it was great. I had a tremendous support system at the office. Uh, I, some of the relationships that I had there allowed for me to have all of this time. Cause I mean, I, I disappeared I for gonna, months. I was just going to ask you, is this the same job that you same just job. retired from? Like they, same job. Same they, job. I mean, you know, I have to think like, even though you were struggling with this addiction, you, ha you had to have been amazing at what you did in order for them to value you as an employee, as a part of their company, or what was their reason? Were they just, Oh, poor Larry. We better no, help him it out. Was, I mean, it was because of the relationships that I had. It was because of the relationships that I had built over the years and that had been established over the years. And uh, certain people there stepped up and they were in a position to help me in a way that just would not have happened anywhere else. It just yeah. wouldn't have happened. It just wouldn't yeah. have happened. And I, I, I know that and they know that and they know I'm super appreciative of that. Uh, and they're still great friends of mine today. Uh, they support me in my journey as a full time podcaster and content creator. And, and they supported my exodus uh, from the company uh, and, and they still support me today. So it's it's tremendous. But it was because of the relationships that I had at that company that allowed me to get the help that I needed because they set up my entry into rehab. I went to one of the best rehab facilities in the country. And it's only because I wouldn't have been able to afford to do that had I not gone in on some sort of sponsorship program. I don't know all the details behind it, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. the gentleman that helped me out live next door is the son of one of the board members of the rehab facility that I went to. So he made a phone call, they called his, and things just, it just all came together in a way that made it viable for me to go. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's all about relationships. And it was all about the relationships that I had there that allowed any of that to transpire. And, yeah, that's amazing. So because, yeah, I mean, I, I have been in a lot of struggles, not quite the same struggles, but um, thankful to the relationships that I had in my life as well. But uh, that's pretty amazing. And clearly you're a very lovable guy. So it's easy to see. Um, <laughs> it's easy to see why people would step up to the, to help you out in, in that struggle. And thank gosh, because you made an amazing recovery. What is your company today? I know you said you do coaching as well. Yeah. My company is called readily random media. And I, I do content creation, coaching, podcast, coaching, YouTube coaching. Uh, if you have a, a message or a brand or a story that you're trying to promote and you think a podcast is the right avenue for you to take to get it out there, I can help make that happen. Um, yeah. And that's, that's what we do. So anything that has to do with, with online or content creation or anything along those lines, be more than happy to, to help you. That's amazing. Um, you know, I know that for our listeners, you guys can't see what's behind Larry and it's a, it's a uh, trademark. I've been uh, on the uh, Zoom with Larry at least 10 times now. So behind him is uh, just two huge shelves, like, uh, you know, stacks of shelves with every single uh, toy, comic book, <laughs> Batman. I mean, what's going on behind you, Larry? Can you just share your yeah, shelving just, with it, us? It's just childhood, man. That's what it is. I'm a 48 year old adolescent. You know, if there's, <laughs> if I have one shortcoming, <laughs> that's what it is. Um, always had a thing for Batman, I think because he was kind of the underdog and he didn't really have superpowers, but he trained himself to be a, a, a bad dude and just, you know, handled the bad guys. 
And uh, I think that's why I kind of related to him the most. And it's ironic because, I mean, and this goes all the way back, like pre-memory back, even right before I went into the hospital to have my surgery, there's a picture of me standing outside and I'm wearing a Batman t-shirt and I'm four years old. So, I mean, it's been, it's just been a fascination of mine forever. Uh, and a lot of my toys behind me are those little vinyl pops. I think those things are the coolest. And I have a ton of those that are all Batman related in his gallery of rogues. And, uh, you know, there's a couple others that are mixed in. I was a GI Joe fanatic when I was a kid too. So I got a couple of GI Joe pops back there, but most everything is either Batman and, and, and a vinyl pop of some sort. So, well, you know, given everything that you've gone through in your life and how amazing you are today, you're definitely a superhero in my book. That's for sure. Uh, what is your superpower as a superhero? Do you think? Wow. My superpower. Um, you know, I falter a lot and I fall off a lot, but somehow I managed to get back up and I, I, I can't give that to myself, but I have to give that to the relationship. So if anything, I guess my superpower would be relationships, creating relationships, not necessarily nurturing them in a positive way, but <laughs> you know, I've struggled there, but I think I've gotten better at it over the years. So uh, just making those connections, I, I think is probably my superpower. So. And not just for myself, but for others as well. And that's just, I love bringing people together. Uh, again, the relationships that I had at the office are what allowed me to position myself to make the transition and, and get my life back. Uh, and if it wasn't for those relationships, then I wouldn't be here. So I, I think relationship building would be the key. Yeah, I think that's really um, important for all of our listeners to pay attention to is you don't always have to have the answers. You don't always have to know the way or know how to get something done, but connecting with the right people, nurturing those relationships, creating those relationships is huge for becoming successful in anything you do in all the areas of your life. So that's really amazing. How can our audience get in touch with you if they do want to share their story that is so in-depth and has so many layers like yours does, Larry. And you're right. I think we're going to have to have a series because I think there's a lot more to talk about. <laughs> yeah, we hadn't talked about, I got to beat up both my dads at one time. <laughs> uh, I got two kids. I got a grandkid. We, we didn't even get it. <laughs> we're going to have to move past the second grade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we just kind of did a turbo a warp speed through through yeah. all of the brain drama. But yeah, I mean, feel free to reach out to me at readily. That's R-E-A-D-I-L-Y random.com. I'll be more than happy to talk to you and help you any way I can. If you've got a great story to share, I'd love to have you on my podcast as well. Uh, thank you so much, Pratiti, for having me. I loved being here. Anytime I get the chance to hang out with you and talk to you, it's always a pleasure. And I just can't thank you enough. Thank you so much, Larry. I love hanging out with Larry and he is a very fun guy. So thank you so much, Larry. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. All right. Thank you for listening to Unpacking Brain Drama Podcast. You'll find links for all the things mentioned below in the show notes. And it would be incredibly awesome if you would take a quick moment to leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. If you'd like to be considered as a guest on our podcast, be sure to go to www.resultsbydesigncoaching.com for a free 30-minute coaching session. Thanks so much, guys. See you next time.